Turn your copy of God's Word or the Bible in front of you to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, if you have children, kindergarten through fifth grade, they may go to Children's Church as you're turning there. And as they are going, they will have a great time worshiping Christ together. We have been going through a series of vital signs of a healthy church. And we've looked at, at what makes biblically a healthy church, how to challenge ourselves both individually but as a church, how do we hold each other accountable in these ways? And so it just so happens this week we're talking about accountability. Healthy churches value accountability as we keep each other from sin. So let's read these verses together and uh, we will uh, ask God to meet with us. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own self alone and not be compared himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one who taught the word share all of his good things with the teacher. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh, but the one who sows in the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Together, excuse me, therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Let us pray. God, we ask you today that we would meet with you. We expect to come, all of us, knowing that you use your word as truth to our hearts and salvation for our souls. We pray as we come to this word today, God. That through the Spirit, that we would be changed, and that by faith we would obey, knowing that it is your word and your way where we will be in joy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Say I want to, this morning, move this piano. Maybe I want to take the piano that's down here. And I want to move it up here onto the stage. Now, I've got a couple of options. I could try to do it myself. Now, I might be able to do it. I might break the piano in the process, and I might display several discs in the process. So that, that could be an option for me. A, a second option would be that I just ask some other people to do it, and I watch them. Now, that would be really easy for me, but uh, I would see them. But I would miss out on learning how to move a piano, on what it takes to move a piano. I would miss all of that. But really, the third option, which is probably the best option, is for me to get others to help me move the piano up on the stage. Now, in that, we, we are unified together, we grow together, we learn what it takes together to move a piano, we share the burden, we share everything that is involved in that, and then we get to see the result and reward of that. You know, many times when we come and we understand that there's a sin or something in our life, 
most of us, more often than not, choose the first option. We try to do it by ourselves. We know not watching someone else to fix it, but really we try to fix our sin by ourselves. But what the Bible helps us to see is that even in the midst of deep sin that we're caught in, or even in sin that we're struggling with in any stretch, God has given us and commands us to help one another come out of sin. And that is why healthy churches value accountability. Because it is in accountability that we help one another come out of, of sin. One of the subtle reminders that we've looked at over the last few weeks when we've gone through this series is that really being a healthy church is being a Christian who is living in the joy of God. Uh, when we looked at sound doctrine, what is sound doctrine? Sound doctrine is understanding the Bible, and the Bible points us to holiness. It teaches us to know where does joy come from, what well, comes from knowing God. And secondly, how do we live a joy-filled life? By knowing what God expects or God has given a life that leads to joy. So if we know the Bible, we know God's Word, then we can know that. Secondly, uh, we, we looked at discipleship. What is discipleship? Discipleship is I follow Christ and I help someone else follow Christ. It is helping each other to find the joy in following Christ, to faithfully follow, to be stretched as a disciple, to, to radically obey God and to teach others to radically obey God, but it leads to joy, right? Well, accountability is helping each other stay out of sin so that we can stay in joy. You see, if sin is present in our life, if we're struggling or entrapped in sin, then we know that we're not in a joy-filled place in life. Sin is outside of joy. It's outside of life. It is outside the blessing of God. Why? Because sin is against God. It's against other people. It's against ourselves. But sin primarily is against God. He is holy. And when we might harm ourselves, but more importantly, it grieves God, disrespects God, infuriates God because we are basically saying, I am my own God. I do what I want to do. I do what's right. Unfortunately, we talked last week that even when we turn to Christ, we repent of sin, we believe Christ in faith, and we are born again, unfortunately, sin, sin is still present in our life. Now, sin does not have power over us. Through the grace of God, we can walk out of sin. We can grow and we can take off sin. It no longer has its clutches around us. But it doesn't mean that sin disappears. Many Christians struggle years and years entrapped in sin. They stay there thinking that this is what the, the joy-filled Christian life is supposed to be like. But friends, no, it's not. The good news is, is that we have been given a body of Christ that can help us to walk out of sin and not stay in it. And again, we might think that we are to take this on our own, but there is no Navy SEAL team that is a one-person team. And in the same way, 
God doesn't send us out to follow Him all by ourselves. God has given us the Christian life with brothers and sisters in Christ, personal friends, a life group, a church of believers that come alongside of us and help us to walk out of sin. This means that we have to be able to be vulnerable to talk about our sin, to talk about our struggles, to accept correction. But in the same way, we have to be willing to speak the truth in love. Here in Galatians chapter 6, Paul starts out by saying, if someone is overtaken in wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a spiritual person ingrained in the Holy Spirit. We're being commanded here by Paul to help each other, hold each other accountable, and help each other out of sin. Today I want us to discover both the challenge and the reward of accountability in the church. The first one is this. Accountability is guiding people out of sin. Let me just reread verse 1 together. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Well, what does this mean? When Paul says this, restore such a person, someone who is overtaken, maybe your version says something different, trapped or, or overcome. Do not read this verse when Paul says it by saying that every time you see something wrong in someone else's life, that you speak out against it that you keep telling everybody that they're wrong. That is not what Paul is saying here. As a matter of fact, I believe it's a mark of spiritual immaturity if you're always pointing out faults in others because you, uh, you are more concerned about how they look and in essence, you're really trying to make yourself look better, right? Paul is not saying that. As a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that that's not how we live the Christian life. 1 Peter 4.8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 3.5 says that love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13.7 says, love hopes all things and it endures all things. See, friends, we're not telling us to be uh, spiritual police cops writing tickets to everyone that we see who was falling in sin. If we were do that, we would, that's all we would do. And most importantly, we need to be watching our own hearts. But what is Paul saying? He is saying in this case study, he is saying that someone who is entrapped, overcome, overwhelmed with sin, you need to come to them and help them out of sin. Well, what does this mean? What does this mean, overtaken? Well, it implies that there's a, there's a pattern, that someone is, is sinning the same way over and over and over again. They know it's wrong. They ask for forgiveness. They want to stop, but they keep sinning, and they keep sinning, and they keep sinning. Secondly, it indicates that the person is harmed. If someone is entrapped, if there's a trap, it is hurtful. It is hurting them. Maybe their sin is hurting others. The third thing is it implies that they're stuck. I mean, that's the trap, right? You set a trap for an animal to stop them, to keep them, to hold them. And that is what we're talking about here is that sin has entrapped them and by themselves, they cannot get out of this situation. 
So what we're talking about is a time in a person's life when they're doing something wrong, doing it repeatedly, doing it to hurt themselves or others, and they can't stop on their own. We are commanded here, Paul says, to restore each person gently. Now, it's funny that we translate this word, restore, gently, because the term for restore is actually a, 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 different, a different connotation. In the original Greek, it can also be used for replacing or, or setting a bone that is dislocated or is broken. Now, I don't think that's usually gently, and, and, and you think of that. I remember being in athletic training, and they would try to teach us to do that, and I just prayed I would never have to do that because I never wanted to hear that noise or, or ever have to do that. Doing that, displacing someone or putting something back into place uh, is painful. I remember when um, Franklin was really young, I think he was about 18 months or somewhere around in there, less than that. We were playing and we were playing elevator and I had him by the hands and I was lifting him up like this and all of a sudden he just started to scream. He just started to scream. He started to hold his arm, his, his little arm, it just slipped out of place. And so he's crying, I'm crying. Sarah's the only one who's calm in this whole situation. I'm crying because I'm upset that this happened on, you know, I'm the one that did it, and I wanted to do something to relieve it. And we we're trying to think what we should do. We're, I'm trying to go back to my athletic training days. And then and before we, I think Sarah tried to call the doctor or do something, and we all of a sudden, okay, let's go play. Franklin just kind of stopped and just went back. His arm just slid back, back into place, and everything was fine. I can tell you some really ugly stories of times that I've seen people put their arms back in place, and it is not fun. But that's kind of what holding each other accountable is like. When we address sin in each other's lives, at first it's really painful. It's painful for the person who has to speak the truth in love. We have to overcome maybe our, our concern for our, ourselves, maybe think that maybe we shouldn't be the one to say something. It's painful because we have to have a very difficult conversation with someone, and uh, we don't really like to have difficult conversations at times. It can be painful, but it can also be painful for that person because they've been used to living in a life or living in a part of sin that it, they thought is okay. So the initial reaction is always going to be pain. And just like in a dislocation, to put it back, it is going to hurt to put it back. But what happens when everything's back in order? Everything becomes fine. You see, we need to be reminded that we need to help each other, restore each other, Show each other when we're in sin and help restore each other to where we're not. Brothers and sisters, is what our call is to restore someone, someone that is out of place in our lives, someone who is habitually gossiping, is caught in sexual immorality, is struggling with anger and outbursts of anger, is, has total disregard for God's word. We want to go to them and help them see, you're a professing believer in Jesus Christ. You know that this way it doesn't lead to blessing. This does not honor God. So painfully, we need to go to them who are tra trapped in Satan's temptation and say to them, friend, can we read this scripture together? Can I help you see that there's something going on in your life that is not the way of a believer? Can I help you? Can I pray for you? Because this sin is harming you and other people. 
I love you too much to let you stay this way. Boy, that's painful. But as we work together, friends, and sometimes it takes being one-on-one together, you can discuss areas of our life that we need freedom from sin. So friends, I challenge you, God's Word is challenging one, to talk about these things that you're struggling with in in your life group. That is a place for you to to speak out and say, this is where I'm struggling. If it's a, a small sin or a large sin, to speak out and help people come around you and love you through it maybe grab someone one-on-one and discuss around over coffee or during life together to help each other and that is what the rhythms of fellowship and discipleship are praying together applying scriptures together loving together and helping each other get out of sin then everything is all right we must restore people we must help each other When we're out of sin, we must look for opportunities to help others out of the same sin. Friends, it is cruel to do otherwise. That is why, number two, accountability is a measure of true fellowship. Excuse me, friendship. Verse one says, uh, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burden. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want to help you to see that there is a difference between the words here. In verse 2, there is a term burden that is baros in the Greek. And verse 5 is load, which, uh, which is fortion. These two words communicate two different types of loads. The first one, or in verse 5, it talks about a, 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 basically a, a load, meaning a, a soldier's d- a backpack. So if they're going and marching, if they're going on a day's trip, whatever they can fit in their pack, this is somebody, somebody's burden or their, something that they can carry on their own. But verse 2 is something speaking about something more. It's talking about a load that is heavier than someone can take by themselves. It is heavier than someone can do on their own. This is something that someone needs the help of others. This is a burden of a, a, a literally a, a large rock or something that has to be carried for a long distance. A burden, therefore, a burden of sin, a burden in life is extraordinary in which we need others to help us. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, in many cases... By the rules of the gospel, be obliged to give to help others when we cannot do it without suffering ourselves. Else, how is the rule of bearing one another's burdens fulfilled? If we are never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burdens when we bear no burdens at all? What is Jonathan Edwards saying there? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that when we come to a time when someone needs help, what is our normal response or sometimes our response? We say we can't afford it. We can't do it. We can't spare the time. We can't go into this deep problem. We don't know how to, how to do these things. We say I can't afford it. What we're really saying is, is that I can't help you without it costing me something. And what Paul is saying, Jonathan Edwards is saying, is that there is never a time where we help one another where there isn't a cost to us. 
that we must be readily available despite the cost it is to us to be a true friend to go help that person. See, we love because Christ has first loved us and as he has displayed for us, then we go and help others. Friends, true fellowship is willing to get to the hard places and help them through it. Many people tell me, they say, Pastor, I can't speak to someone because I say, I know that I'm not sinless. I know that I'm sinful. I can't certainly help them. But friends, that is not what it's saying here. We know we're sinners. We know we need grace. But we can't let our brother and sister struggle in sin when we can help them out of it. There should be no excuse. And for the amount of love that we can show through them as we walk them through. We must have hard and very difficult conversations when needed. Actually, in the New York Times, on the front page of the Sunday Styles section, they were talking about millionaires who lived in the city who were struggling through the financial burdens or the financial crash in the late 2000s. And the, the term or the, the story was talking about a man who had gone from $20 million in worth to $8 million in worth. And none of us can relate to that in this room today. But his financial advisor, this is in the paper, the financial advisor says, sir, you have lost a lot of money and you are still living as though you still have $20 million. Something needs to change with your finances. And he says, well, sir, I'd love to, but it's my wife. She continues to spend as if we have $20 million. And he says, sir, well, I hate that for you, but you have got to talk to her because you will soon be in bankruptcy if something doesn't change. And the man replied, this is in the New York Times paper. He said, he said, sir, I'd love to, but I don't think I could tell her because I'm afraid she'll leave me. You see, we are more concerned about letting things go sometimes than really speaking the truth in love. But true friendship and value abounds when accountability is present. True love happens when we love someone so much that we can't let them stay in sin that harms them. The good news is that Paul gives us instructions to help us not fall into temptation as we help others. And number three, accountability is done in pure motives. Accountability is done in pure motives. Verse 3 says, If anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. Let the one... Well, we'll stop right there. By definition, pride and self suffocates true love. It cannot exist. Pride and love cannot exist in the same room. Paul reminds us that if we think that we're better than others, you're fooling yourself. There is no one better than anyone else. Why? Because we are all sinners who needed the same grace, who needed the same Savior for salvation. If we think otherwise, we are deceiving ourselves. We are being prideful. We are like the stewardess who once told Muhammad Ali to pre prepare for um, takeoff by buckling his seatbelt. He replied, Superman don't need no seatbelt, which was the stewardess replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane either, so buckle your seatbelt. True accountability to exist, self, selfishness and pride 
must be nailed to the cross. Sometimes we look down on others because we feel like that their sin has made them less than we are. But friends, that is such an anti-gospel attitude. That is not what Christ has done for us. Paul says that we should do so, that we should do so not thinking of ourselves as much. But this is exactly what Jesus says. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2 through 5, he says, For you will be judged by the same standard which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take out, uh, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a bleep, excuse me, yeah, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Friends, this is a reminder to all of us. We should always look at our sin first and our sin most. We cannot help another person if we come in prideful and not pure-hearted. Be reminded that the nature is of Christ That while we were sinners, He still loved us despite our faults. He came and died for us. We are no better than anyone else on the planet. So we need to pray our our hearts. Check our hearts. Be reminded of our sin that we had trouble crucifying once. And be reminded of the Savior who set you free. Friends, we need to, with pure motives and pure hearts, help others out of sin. And if we do so, friends... If we are faithful, pure-hearted, if we help them out of sin, then there's great rewards. Number four, rewards of accountability is a healthy and holy church. Verse seven, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows in the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not be tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong in the household of faith. Paul says, make no mistake, God is not mocked. Literally, he says there, don't turn your nose up to God. We cannot despise him by pleasing our sinful nature and then sneering at him when we get a chance. Friends, when we sin, we are against a holy God. People who think they can fool themselves are only fooling themselves. They're not fooling God. Paul reminds us that what we sow in the flesh, we will reap in destruction in the flesh. So what we sow in our sinful spirit, we will retain or bring back in the sin. But the spirit sowed returns in the spirit friends a believer in christ should be a master farmer of sowing the spirit we should always be sowing the spirit in all aspects and avenues in our life but those who are in flesh endanger themselves and others a young couple caught in love gets caught up in the passions of the moment and after they break up they discover that they've damaged part of their capacity for true intimacy A man comes to think of his colleagues as such rivals, he schemes his way past them, but little does he know that the selfish ambition that he's sowing seeds of destruction in his own heart and in his reputation to others. A woman secretly despises another woman in the church, but with every contemptuous thought, she is sowing seeds destructive to his own spiritual 
maturity, health, and the fellowship of the church. And a husband and wife that allows resentment to build in their marriage without resolving their differences. Year by year, they drift further and further apart. And they reap loneliness, bitterness, and unbelief. We always, always reap what we sow. We need to sow purity, holiness, the Spirit. And this is true in every area of life. John Stott uh, observed this. Every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge, nurse a grievance, entertain an impure fantasy, or wallow in self-pity, we are sowing to the flesh. Every time we linger in bad company whose insidious influence we know we cannot resist. Every time we lie in bed when we ought to be up and praying. Every time we read pornographic literature. Every time we take a risk which strains our self-control. We are sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. Some Christians sow to the flesh every day and wonder why they do not reap holiness. Holiness is a harvest Whether we reap it or not depends almost entirely on what and where we sow. This is why accountability matters, brothers and sisters. This is why accountability matters. Let us do everything and take every opportunity, he says in verse 10, to do good work for all, especially for those in the household of faith. What we need to be reminded is when we hold each other accountable, warn each other, rebuke, correct, help each other out of sin, what we are doing is doing for their good and doing for the good of the church. We must rebuke, correct, love, and pray and help each other from sowing seeds that harm us and harm the church. So what good comes from the church that calls each other to repent and hold each other accountability? Well, there's four things. One, God's holiness is reflected. When we are held to holiness and God's word, we are reflecting God to others. It is just like the law was given to the Israelites so that they would know how to be holy as God is holy. When we seek holiness in the spirit, we are reflecting the holiness of God in the world. Secondly, God's reputation is upheld. God's law also kept Israel from looking like every other pagan nation that bowed down to rocks and wood and instead proclaimed to the world that we, we serve and proclaim a living God who is holy and faithful and just and good and loving. And we proclaim that. And when we hold each other accountable and keep each other out of sin, what we're doing to the world is saying God is worth it. But when we don't, friends, what we say, when we allow sin to be harbored in people's lives and in the church, what we're telling the world is God isn't worth it. The worst damage we can do is to live in an unrepentant sin and claim Christ because we view as Christ as little, his sacrifice as little, and a God who is little. But friends, I don't know about you, but about me. My sin was great. My need was great. My Savior came and died for me and set me free. I don't believe in a little God. I don't believe in a little Savior because I have now overcome sin and overcome the grave because of Him. We can't let sin 
stay in our hearts nor stay in our church we need to encourage one another not to stay there and 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 live in the the wallow of sin but come to the banquet of the bride of christ thirdly we show hope to the outside world friends everybody loves a comeback story when someone's fall fallen finds forgiveness and restored a new life newsflash that's the gospel message that we have been fallen into sin and Christ has come and given us a new life. And so when we help each other come out of sin, be restored out of sin, we are proclaiming the message of the, the gospel to the world that there is hope for you too. There is hope for you in the gospel. And that is the problem with a culture that says, do your own sin, stay in your own sin. You, there, do whatever you like to do. What is really being communicated is you are stuck in your sin and there's nowhere for you to go. But when we proclaim the gospel message, there is hope in Jesus and you don't have to stay in a life that doesn't bring you joy and happiness. And number four, transformation is the result. People learn to love one another. Families get restored. People look more and more like Jesus. They are pulled from the unhappiness of sin. Friends, transformation happens when we are willing to speak the truth in love. Accountability is good for the church and it makes it healthy. A pastor tells of a story of a man who was struggling in sin. He was struggling in a deep, uh, deep sin. And thankfully, by God's grace, he came to full repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. He was restored. And the pastor asked this Christian, said, what did it feel like when you were struggling in that sin? Well, the young man said, that it, I felt like that I was out to sea in the deep water. And there was just people who were far away that I could not see them, but I could hear them just a little bit. But what changed for me was that there was a friend, one Christian brother, who actually swam out to me to get me and would not let me go. He brushed aside as I tried to fight him off. He pushed on, grasped me, threw a life jacket on me, and took me to shore. And by the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored because he would not let me go. Friends, will you be that influence in the lives of others? Will you see people who are stuck in sin, who are harming themselves and others? Would you be that person who lovingly swims out to them in their need and pulls them to the shores of righteousness and peace? Well, some of you might be saying, this is the craziest thing. This goes against everything I've been taught. Why would Christians do this? Well, because we had someone who would not give up on us. And that was Jesus. He saw us sinking deep in sin, far from the distant shore. He came to us out of heaven and gave his life so that we might be free from sin, that we can be forgiven, that we may be made new because he took the punishment and the wrath of our sin. This God loved us and came and saved us.
And in the same way Jesus came, we need to go and help each other. Maybe today the most important prayer that you make or response that you make today is that you reach out to Christ as Savior. Maybe you've played games with God. Maybe you've tried to do the Christian life by yourself. Maybe you've just tried to be good, but you know that if your heart was on display for all to see, you would say, I never trusted Christ. Maybe today you would call out to Jesus that you would repent of your sin, believe that he is the Son of God, and be saved today. Today, you can start your new life and you can walk out of the sin that entangles you. Maybe you're today and you are saved. Maybe you're a brother and sister in Christ. Is there a sin that you need help in? Is there a struggle you're happening with a relationship? Is there a depression or bitterness that is seeking in your heart and embedding in your heart and you can't let it go? I encourage you, talk in your life group about it. Reveal your heart. Get a Christian friend to come alongside you. Reach out for some biblical counseling. Do not let sin linger because it kills, steals, and destroys. Or maybe today you find yourself in a good period in your life. You'd say, Pastor, I don't, I'm not struggling with anything. God, things are going well. God is, is doing great things. I'm faithfully obeying. Well, maybe... God's put you in this season in life so that you can speak the truth into someone who's around you. Can you help someone out of their sin? Will you be willing to help them in their need? Today, friends, let us be reminded a healthy church and a faithful Christian values accountability. Let us pray. God, we pray this morning as your word holds us accountable to, Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts today. May we not be satisfied with a sin that lingers, and may we repent and come to you. God, I pray today that if there's someone here that needs you, I pray today would be the day that they reach out in faith and be saved. Today, God, I pray that if there's someone that we know that we would commit to going and scheduling a time to read some scripture together, pray with them and help them as they start to walk out of sin. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.